So um, we just want to um, invite Jose and his blessing when he gives uh, the word. We're real excited because the last couple of weeks, the Lord's been doing something new and new in terms of just building a hope and an expectation mm-hmm. for the presence of the Lord to show up, right? It's been happening. It's just been growing and growing and growing. And, you know, I'll be honest, like, we're not that smart, but the Lord is. Like, if you take a look at the timing, like, the, the Lord just started working us after I got back from Buffalo, and they just, more of the glory, more of the presence, right? Jose is here to, to give a word on largely what the Lord is doing and what it's about in terms of calling forth the presence and worship of the Lord. And he's here, and the next week is Shavuot, or Pentecost Sunday, right, when the Holy Spirit fell in power. So, like, you know, we can't, I'm asking why, I'm not scheduling, you know? Yeah. So I have no idea, but the Lord just brings it together. So, Father, we just bless the Lord. We bless you, Lord, and we just pray for your anointing to continue to fall upon Jose and his lips and his spirit, Lord, that he would just give forth a word right now, Lord, and that we would just receive with a fullness of heart to be encouraged and to be expectant in what you're doing in these days on planet Earth, Lord. Father, we pray that he just feels loved and blessed here. Yes. Um, and we're excited for what the Lord has for he and Dana up in this region, which I think you're going to tell us about as well. Yes. Yeah? Amen. Amen. Cool. All right. I'm, I'm currently in between Bibles, so I'm using Dave's. I, I, I ordered one online, but it was the wrong one. Not like wrong as in like some like weird like satanic Bible. It was just like too big, too heavy. Couldn't carry it around in my backpack. Anyways, whatever. Okay. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Happy Mother's Day. I don't have a Mother's Day message. All right. Amen. So it's good. Um, I never have like those like messages. I, I preach at Mother's Day at my church last year. And I said, look, I cannot preach a Mother's Day message. And he said, all right. So I don't have to preach one today either. Anyways, it's good to be with you guys this morning. Um, really, really pumped. So as uh, Pastor Dave was saying, I'm really excited. So my, uh, some of you guys might know my wife, Dana, the sisters with Michelle and, and Lori. So, uh, you know, we've been in an interesting season. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about, you know, what we're doing and, and who we are. And just to give a little bit of context. Uh, Dana and I have been in Austin, Texas the last um, four, five years now. We've been there for five years helping uh, really pioneer a community, a global community that God has just, um, just breathed on called Heart of David. Some of you guys might have heard of Heart of David. It was founded by uh, my good friend Rick Pino. And we started it back in 2013 in, in Austin which is the capital of Texas. And we've been there for the last few years. And, and since 2013, two things have, have sprung up as far as the expression of what Heart of David is. And the first thing is we have a school of ministry called the Heart of David School of Ministry. We have students that come from all over the world and they spend a year with us just going after the presence of God, being trained and equipped and going uh, to the nations and, you know, with that, uh, between Rick and I, you know, our, our ministry, we've, we go to about 30 different nations a year. Uh, we travel pretty extensively. I think just between Rick and I, probably close to 300 to 350,000 flying miles going to the nations, going across the U.S., just raising up hubs of worship, just lighting bonfires of worship across the nation and in the nations. 
And, and, and as our school has been going, the, the next phase or the next thing that the Lord uh, called us to pioneer is we launched a network last year in June called Heart of David Global. And uh, we're just a, a presence-driven, relationship-based network. Just uh, the, the vision is really helping steward this global worship movement that's exploding around the earth. And I'll, and I'll talk a little bit about that here in a second. But I mean, but it's crazy, guys, the stuff that God is doing globally right now all over the world with worship and prayer. I mean, uh, maybe some of you don't, you don't necessarily have a gauge for what's happening. But guys, we are literally living in the greatest hour of human history. I mean, there are things happening right now globally, specifically in the realm of worship and prayer that are unprecedented, that if somebody would have told you the things that are happening right now 10 years ago, you would have never believed it. We've got uh, some friends of ours, they just launched, this is crazy, a house of prayer in Iraq, in a cave, 20 miles from the ISIS, like, hub, ISIS's headquarters. True story. It's like every so often they'll post pictures like outside of the front door of the house of prayer and you see smoke out in the distance and it's because like ISIS just like bombed someone or like killed a whole bunch of people. Anyways, but they're like 20 miles from there in a cave going after the presence of the Lord. So guys, like it's like it's incredible like what is happening right now globally all over the earth, man. So this thing that you guys are beginning to experience here and walk in here, especially in the realm of worship, God is breathing on worship right now, unlike anything else. And I'm gonna, I'll talk about this here in a second, but he's breathing on it and it's exploding. And, and we've just had this small little piece of this, of this tabernacle of David, global worship puzzle, heart of David. We've just had this little piece. And, and throughout the years, as the school was just getting raised up, the Lord began to speak to us extensively about launching a network and, and really help unify this global worship movement help bring encouragement and resource and equipping. So we launched Heart of David Global last year, which Dana and I are the directors of, of Heart of David, but specifically of Heart of David Global. So we spend a lot of our time raising up these hubs, raising up these communities, encouraging and equipping. And the vision is we want to launch other schools uh, around the world. I mean, we have open doors to, to launch a school in uh, South Korea, in, in, in the Philippines, in, in India, in Italy, in all these different places. So we are, we've just transitioned out of doing the school and we're focused on that. And, and with that, at the same time, we also feel like the Lord has, has, has called her, Dana and I to, to relocate. And we're actually moving here in August to Pennsylvania, to Bucks County. Yeah, I'm going to live in, 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 in Bucks County, so excited. Which means we're actually, Bristol Hope is going to be our home church. So... Uh, Really, really, really excited about that. You'll see Dana a lot more than you see me, but, uh, but we're excited. We're really pumped to connect, and, and, and just as we were you know, getting ready to move, I mean, we are so excited about the things. I just want to encourage you guys, the things that we are hearing the Lord do here in this church and in this region, and what's happening here on Sunday mornings, uh, it's, it's incredible, and it's so encouraging as we talk to Dave and Michelle just weekly and just hearing updates. Guys, God is doing something in Bristol. He's doing something in this region. And we're just, we're really excited just to connect and, and, and just be a part of what the Lord is doing here. So we're moving in August. I get all my dates confused. But, uh, but wait, yeah, we are in Independence. What's it called? Mall Hall? The Mall Hall. We're in Independence area. 
on the corner of Central and Fifth. That's what it says on my website. I don't know if that's true, but it's on there. So, <laughs> but that's where it's going to be, and I think it starts at 7 p.m. Um, on Tuesday. Anyways, but yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move here. We're excited to get plugged in and to connect with you guys. We'll be connected as well with Jamie Fit and and those guys. So you know, like so we have Heart of David hubs all over the country, and and Philadelphia is one of the main ones. Uh, we're, we're connected really deeply with the Fit Brothers, and of course we have um, Resting Place up in New Jersey, and, it, and it's exciting. And, and our vision is really, we want to see, because we were praying, like, do, do we go and really plug into New York City, or do we plug into Philadelphia? And we just really felt the Lord's heart for Philadelphia specifically. And, and guys, I want to encourage you, I really believe God's hand, God's eye is on Philadelphia right now. And, and, I, and I'm so stirred over what the Lord is going to do in the city and in the greater Philadelphia region. And so our vision is we really want to see Philadelphia and the Northeast become kind of the second main global hub for Heart of David and, and just with what he's doing with all that. Amen? Well, come on. I want to encourage you. Actually, I'll just ask you to go to Malachi chapter 1. I haven't gotten much sleep in the last few days, and I'm feeling it this morning. Yes, bless me with sleep, Lord, tonight. Not right now. Not right now, yeah. <laughs> you ever have like, one time I was sick in my stomach, and somebody was praying for me, and they're like, Lord, just release him. And I was like, no, Lord, <laughs> not right here. <laughs> like, just in case. <laughs> like, literally, I interrupted the guy. I was like, pray that the Lord helps me release it like five minutes from now. <laughs> not here. Like, Lord, just bring breakthrough now. It's a true story. I didn't make that up. That's not like a cheesy pastor joke. That really happened. It's just, you know, there's just certain things. Like, thank God doesn't like bring breakthrough right then. Like, that was one of them. But like, Lord, give him sleep. I just collapse. Um, I've, I've got a friend of mine. He's a worship leader. He always falls asleep right before he's supposed to lead worship. It's really funny. And at one time, it was like they were waiting for him and he was snoring in the seat. If I told you his name, it's not Rick, but if I told you his name, you'd know him. Okay. Anyways, poor guy. Um, guys, I, I'm really stirred, and I, I want to just, uh, what I want to do this morning a little bit, I just want to just kind of paint a little picture and just open our eyes to really the hour of history that we're living in. You know, sometimes it's so easy to just get kind of bogged down, and we only know what's happening in our immediate kind of place. But guys, I'm telling you, God is exploding. All over the world, we have this little phrase that we love using at Heart of David. The presence of God is going viral right now all over the earth. You know, we use that term viral for things, but guys, it is happening. I mean, biblical prophecy, the nations erupting with day and night worship and prayer. This thing is actually happening. Guys, could you imagine that right now in Iraq, in a cave, 20 miles from ISIS, right now, we're here in church, they're in that cave and they're contending and they're praying and they're worshiping. Guys, I mean, it's, it's like the, the, the prophecy of Habakkuk. The knowledge of the Lord's glory is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And God is actually doing it. And here's what's crazy, and we'll look at this in a second. God's not going to do it alone, right? God's not just up there sprinkling worship dust over the nations. Everything the Lord does on the earth, He does through human partnership. 
right? You can't just like, like well-intentioned find yourself in revival, right? right? Revival is not the byproduct of just good thinking, right? Or, or a move of God that sweeps nations isn't just a byproduct of like a coffee shop conversation, right? God's awakening people that are proactive and, and they're hungry and they want to take their place and they want to build the Lord a resting place in their city and in the nations. I remember last year um, during Presence, it's our annual gathering that we do in Austin, the Lord just began to give us this picture of this global canopy. Guys, there's like this global tent of worship that's being raised up and it's like sweeping the earth. And he's awakening people in their cities to be tent pegs in their city, in their region to hold up this global canopy of worship. I mean, guys, do you know that like we are called to host the presence of God in our city? I mean, think about that. You are a host, right? You're more than just a preacher. You're more than just... Guys, for eternity, we're not going to be preachers. That's it. We put so much of our... And, and listen, I'm not a worship leader. I'm a horrible singer. My wife's a great singer. I sound like a dying goat. I, I barely play music. But I'm telling you, I know that for eternity, I'm not going to be preaching to people. Right. For eternity... I'm not going to be casting out demons or healing the sick for eternity. I'm not going to be building heart of David. But for eternity, guys, our eternal inheritance forever and ever and ever is to stand before the Lord and worship and to gaze on His beauty. Literally, our eternal inheritance is to enjoy God forever. My Lord. Think about that. And, and we were just provoked at this in the early days of Heart of David. We remember we showed up there and none of us got paid. And none of us knew what we were doing. And we were in this ugly building for like long hours. And we have all these students. And most of our day we worship at our, at our school. We do about four to five hours of worship and two hours of teaching a day. And then on Fridays we throw in an extra hour of, of worship. And then once a semester we do 24 hours of worship. And then once a year we do 50 hours of worship. And, and it sounds like really exciting when you tell the numbers, but when you're in it, 80% of the time, you're like, what the heck am I doing? This is, what, like, I could be at home <laughs> doing something. You know, like, it feels so wasteful sometimes. Right? When you do, lot, when you do something, because you do something for so long, you forget why you started doing it in the first place. And, and so we, we get into this kind of routine, and it's like, well, you should be preaching more, and you should be doing this more, and you should be doing that more. And the Lord just began to just wreck our hearts with, you guys know what, everybody loves like the phrase, the culture of heaven. We want to be the culture of heaven, the culture of heaven. Friends, if you want the culture of heaven, then you got to do what heaven's doing. Do you know that no one's, ca- and I love, I, I love casting out demons, we do it all the time, but you know that no one is casting out demons in heaven? Do you know that no one? Is healing the sick in heaven? I mean, I want you to think about this. And I love it. We do it. But do you know what? what they're, they're doing something. There is an activity directly related to the culture of heaven. And that activity is called worship. Guys, worship is the activity of heaven. And God is beginning to merge the culture of the earth or the reality of the earth with the culture and the reality of heaven. And worship is sweeping the earth. And here's the thing. If we want to see greater breakthrough in evangelism, if we want to see greater breakthrough in healing the sick and, and casting out demons, if we want to see greater breakthrough in restoration, then we need the key that unlocks the door to breakthrough in these regions, in these areas. Guys, you, you hear what I'm saying, right? Who, come on, who wants to be more effective in evangelism? 
who wants to be more effective in, the, in healing the sick. Like, aren't you tired of just a thousand conferences about healing that nobody gets healed at but like two people? Amen. Come on, let's just be honest. Let's be real. I'm, uh, we're at like a million of them a year. But guys, because we're, we're like, we're, we're all trying to talk about opening up all these doors. And God has given us this eternal key to unlock the door to unprecedented breakthrough. Yeah. Unprecedented breakthrough. And the key is worship. Worship is significant. And we'll look at this here. But God has eternally, forever attached the release of his kingdom on the earth to the song of the saints. There's something powerful about worship that brings forth a manifestation, and not just a manifestation, but an establishment of the kingdom and the government of God unlike anything else in the earth. And friends, I just want to tell you, maybe you don't know this, but we'll give you a little newsflash. You were created to worship. Right? And we've, we've created this dualistic society where worship is reserved for people with musical talent. And the rest of us, we just let them do the worship for us. And then, you know, but guys, I want to tell you, if you are a born-again believer, you are actually called and mandated by the Lord to worship. I heard somebody say, and we'll look at here in Malachi, but I heard somebody say something that's so good. He pointed at, he was teaching at our school, he's a good friend of ours, and he was pointing at the stage, and he says, what we have in worship culture today is more a byproduct of the Beatles than it is King David. This like celebrity, music, rock star, song-driven worship culture. But guys, the biblical model of worship is that the worship leader was the presence of God. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? You have a call and a role. God wants to raise you up as a mighty worshiper, as, as one who opens up doors in your cities and shuts doors in your cities in the place of worship. But look at this real quick in Malachi chapter 1. So I just really want to highlight what's happening. Because sometimes it's easy to, you hear all this theology, you hear all this teaching, and it just seems like a bunch of like noise, and you get a little bit excited, but guys, God's doing this. So in the book of Malachi, the Lord is rebuking the Levites. And this is a really interesting book. God, the whole first chapter, is judging the worship of the Levites in the days of Malachi. Now I can't judge your worship, but God judges worship. And what he's, he's not judging whether you're, you know, you're talented or not. He's judging the sincerity or the purity of our worship. And literally, the judgment is this. If it's not real, I'd rather you stay quiet and not do it at all. And so he's judging the worship. And he's like, guys, you do everything exactly the way you ought to. This is an incredible book. He says, you do everything. I mean, you, 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 you bring all the sacrifices. You show up on time. Your shirt's tucked in. You do it all. It's great. But what you're doing isn't the reality of your heart. This is an incredible judgment that the Lord is bringing here. And judgment's not a bad thing, because when God judges, it's actually an invitation to repentance. It's an invitation to grow and to be transformed into the image of God. God's saying, that's not my best for you, but I'm inviting you to be transformed into my best for you. you. Right? And so it's easy, like we, especially in like when we're so inundated with every week, there's a new worship CD coming out, and there's new music, and we get so just like bogged down with podcasts and YouTube, and we listen to sermons five times a day and new CDs. It's so easy to learn the machine of worship and the machine of singing to the Lord, and our heart actually be far from the Lord. It's actually possible. 
Because we see this time and time again in the scriptures. And the Lord's saying, everything you're doing is right, but your heart isn't. My God. That's a scary, that's a real scary place to be. So the Lord's releasing this judgment. And in the middle of this judgment, the Lord, and it's just crazy. Because you read verse 1 through 10, and it's like, you do this, you're doing this, you're doing this. And then, he, and then in 11, he takes a quick break. And then he goes back to 12, and he just keeps going. And at 11, it's like God kind of stops. And maybe this is crazy, but this is the way my imagination works. The Lord stops, and he kind of, I feel like he, he sees into the future and kind of gets caught up in a vision. And this massive prophecy is released, and then he continues with his judgment. It's kind of, it's like, it's almost like this, like, God gets caught. I was going to say schizophrenic, but God's not schizophrenic. <laughs> you guys will get used to me quickly, I promise. Anyways. <laughs> But imagine this. So he stops and he's looking at Israel. And guys, I want you to think about this. When God is giving this prophecy, do you realize that like historically there's only one country on the earth at this time that even like knew God? How we so take for granted what we have here in America. And what, you know, one country at this time, there's only one people group historically at this time period that worshiped the Lord. And the Lord stops and he gives this massive prophecy. And do you know that biblical prophecy isn't just this, this faraway promise. Biblical prophecy isn't actually sometimes an invitation to partner with the Lord in fulfilling it. When I see prophecy, when God calls out specific nations, I want to go to those nations. I'm like, God, I want to be a part of that. If you're going to do it, I don't want to watch someone else do it. I'm just tired of reading books about, oh, this guy did this and this guy did this. No, I want to go do it. I want to take my place and making history with the Lord. I remember being 18 years old or 17 or something like that. And, and, and I was in my youth pastor's car in, in, in Florida we were driving around, and I heard this man saying a message. Uh, we were listening to, that's back before you, you were too inundated. So they were like special when you heard a CD teaching. And I heard a man say, don't waste your teenage years. Make history with God now. And I remember hearing that. And at 18 years old, I took, him, I took this guy serious. I took him literally. And something just came on us in that car. And from when I was like 18 to like 24, we gave ourselves wholeheartedly with this belief that we could make history with God. My Lord. And we, we tell our students this all the time. You will either watch the person next to you make history with God or you will make history with God. But you're not going to do it accidentally. You're not going to accidentally just stumble upon it. A guy's making history with the Lord, doing something great for the Lord in the earth, takes great focus and great intentionality. And I remember at 18 years old, I, I graduated high school, and I went to college, and my friend Chris and I, we didn't know about harp and ball. We didn't know about any of this stuff. All we knew is that we were charged in our hearts with this idea that we could make history with the Lord. And so we decided that for an entire semester, we were going to fast lunch. We weren't going to eat lunch. And, we, and this is Florida, so we have one season, hot. And every single day, we would go to the entrance of our university. I didn't go to a Christian school. I went to a very liberal university. We would go every single day. We'd fast lunch. And for two hours, we'd stand at the entrance of, of the university. And he would sing and play guitar. And I would pray. And we'd just scream and sing our guts out to the Lord. And, and every day, the police came thinking we were drunk. And every time they came, they're like, what are you guys doing? We're like... And I was like young and zealous, like, we're praying for a revival. Stop breaking up my prayer meeting. And then they really thought we were drunk. <laughs> and then they, you know, took breath tests and we weren't. And anyways, 
a true story. My first time I ever fasted, I was 18 years old. I was in high school. I was so excited to fast. And I thought I was invincible. I was driving over a bridge in Florida, and I just closed my eyes, and I started screaming in tongues. So silly. Don't ever do that. <laughs> and my car is just swerving all across this bridge. And I'm like, da 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 revival, God. And the cop pulls me over. And I'm so out of it, I like pull over to the left side of the highway. Like I go from the right, and I go all the way to the left. And, and it's just like Florida, man. This guy's like, go over to the right lane. So I go over. The guy, this is a true story. He comes up to my window, and he's like, and bangs on the car. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, praying for revival. And he's like, are you drunk? And it was like the Holy Spirit shut my mouth and made me mute. Because I was about to go, yeah, with the new wine. But I didn't say that. So, because of that, I can get into Canada. Okay, I don't have a record. But here's the deal, though. God took this stuff serious. I might have been silly and I didn't know what I was doing. But guys, I'm telling you, 18 years old, 19, 20, 21, 22, or maybe you're 50 or 60, it doesn't matter. God is inviting you to take your place in this great hour of human history. Well, God is pouring out the knowledge of his glory on the earth. And I, I remember my friends at 18, 19 years old, we, we, we decided we were going to cancel all of our Friday night plans. We had no plans. We didn't go to the movies. We didn't hang out. We would lock ourselves in the church and we'd worship and pray till two or three in the morning. And we'd go after the presence of God and we'd seek him. And I would make covenants with the Lord and I'd not, try to not eat for 20 days, but I'd always break it and get a milkshake or whatever. But we'd do it and somehow God heard us and God took us serious. And guys, I'm telling you, I am doing things now that I asked for when I was 18 and 19 years old. I'm not trying to boast, but what I'm saying is we're, we're in a catalytic moment in history. God is shaking the nations and he's revealing his son in an unprecedented way. And all you have to do is have a yes in your heart. Yes, Lord. We have this saying at Heart of David. If you say yes to God, God will say yes to you. And if people, if people ask us, well, what's the goal of the, the focus of your school? If I could summarize it as this, we just want to teach a generation how to say yes to God. And we've seen it time and time again. When one, just one young person just gets this fiery heart and they just believe God and they just begin to say yes, we see it. It's crazy. God, guys, imagine our weak, little broken yes before the Lord, trying to fast or trying to be faithful. Yeah, I've broken more fast than I've started fast. I've like broken them before I started them. Somehow God just like is so kind. And we, we bring our weak broken, insignificant, imperfect, forgot to brush my teeth, yes to the Lord, and it, it so moves the heart of God. Friends, do you know that when you say yes, when you just give it a shot, you actually touch God's heart? Jesus. We never think about it sometimes. But friends, just showing up here, lifting your hands, doing something you didn't do in worship, you actually satisfy and touch the heart of the living God. Amen. Could you imagine? This is crazy. Guys, and God is so moved, and he's so overwhelmed, he can't, he's just like, guys, look at this, this little, he, he's this little thing on the earth, and he's saying yes, and God says, I can't help but say yes to him. Yes, God. And imagine when the God who has unlimited resources, unlimited goodness, unlimited favor, unlimited glory, unlimited power, wow. begins to release his yes. yes. To your small, little, insignificant, broken, didn't brush your teeth. Yes. Okay. Well, look at this. I want to read this to you. Verse 11. So the Lord, 
He closes, this is just like the Jose Diaz study Bible version. And the Lord, he's just like, he's rebuking Israel and he closes his eyes and he goes, but listen, there's a day coming that from the rising of the sun, right, even to what's going down, he says, it's going to happen day and night and night and day. It's never, ever, ever going to cease. It's not going to end. It's not going to be a, a fun weekend. It's not just going to be a bit. This thing is going to explode from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same. Friends, if you want to know how long worship should be, God just gave you his timeline. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God's, like I love, I've been grateful for the 45 minutes on Sunday, but guys, do you know Jesus isn't coming back to a 45 minute song service? Do you know Jesus isn't coming back for a two hour worship set? He's coming back, and I could prove this to you biblically if I had time. Jesus is coming back because 24-7 worship is going to sweep the earth in a way that we have never seen. I love the way Rick says it. The earth is going to begin to look so much like heaven. Jesus, it's just like he's not even going to know the difference. He's not, it's, he will not be able to contain himself. He's going to have to come. Come on. So imagine this, guys. 45 minutes, that's cute. An hour and a half, that's great. Guys, God's after 24-7. God's, if you want to know what, what's on God's mind, Day and night, night and day, because that's what heaven is like. We'll look at that in a second. I keep, we're going to look at a lot of things in a second, if you're taking note. But I promise you, well, from the rising of the sun, even to, the, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the nations. Now imagine, at that time, that wasn't a necessary reality. But God is saying, there is going to come a time, my name is going to be great in Syria. Oh Guys, my name is going to be great in Iraq. Do you hear this? Like the Lord is saying, no, you don't get it. I don't care how bad terrorism looks or how crazy things are getting. My name is going to be great in Turkey. Guys, the Lord's saying, my name is going to be great in Bristol. Do you know that at that moment, when God releases this prophecy, I really believe he had us in mind. Because, I mean, like, like, right? We have to believe that. I mean, this is what we stir at people with. It says, guys, when God says that his name is going to be great, he had Austin, Texas in mind. He had your little worship set at two in the morning when you show up on your piano. He was dreaming about you. Thank you Lord. Friends, imagine 3,000 years ago Jesus. and the thing that's bringing the Lord courage, all right, not courage, the thing that's bringing the Lord hope in the middle of this rebuke, is that in 3,000 years, this mighty people would rise up in this little borough called Bristol, offering incense to the glory of his name. And he's saying, you might not get it now, but in 3,000 years, there's going to be this wild bunch of exuberant worshipers that get raised up in Bristol. And it's, going to, and it's bringing pleasure to my heart. God was enjoying our offering 3,000 years ago. Think about this, guys. This is real. Maybe you think it's crazy. It is, but it's real. So he says, listen, my name is going to be great among the nations. And it says in every place. And friends, God is not like a holy salesman. He's not, you know, he's not, it's like 10 people showed up, but if you ask them, 20 people showed up. He's, no, when God says in every single place, God literally means every place. 
Every single place. It is going to happen. It, there is going to be day and night worship in the Himalayas. There is going to be day and night worship in Nepal. There's going to be day and night worship in the Philippines. There's going to be day and night worship in Cambodia. There's going to be day and night worship in Kenya. Guys, it is going to happen and it's going to be a reality in every single place of the earth. So he says in every place, right, pure incense is going to be offered to my name. Let me share with you guys a few testimonies. And while I do that, why don't you uh, jump to Psalm 2. <coughs> you guys good? Yeah. You alive? Yes. Some of you, you prayed for the sleep spirit and it hit some of you. <laughs> I got the little bit of that Benny Hinn anointing. I don't mind kicking people out sometimes. You guys laugh, but I was at a church in Mexico. I'll tell you a true story. I love sharing this testimony. I was at a church in, in Juarez, Mexico. It's like the most dangerous city in the world. Not anymore, because a guy went after her. Anyways, whatever. So we're, we're, I, pre- I, never, I, I never got invited back again, because I was preaching at their church, and the entire time I'm preaching, this whole family is talking. And most people are just like, whatever, and they're talking. And I just stopped. It's because everybody was praying for the God, send your glory, send your glory. And I, got up, and I said, guys, thank, I just stopped the message. And I go, thank God. God didn't answer our, pres- our prayers and send us glory, because if he did, that entire section would get killed. I said that. So you find it on YouTube somewhere. Put Jose Diaz, Juarez, threatens the whole church. Something like that. <laughs> There's like a website. I, I, I officially made the, the website that bashes all the people you like. I'm, me and Dana have officially were on the website. So we are successful now. There is a website bashing our ministry. Anyways, it's probably on there. But I said, I said, guys, if the glory came, this whole family would get killed because they have no honor for the presence of God. And, I, and, and this is, I'm not preaching this, but I, I, I've been stirred about this. I've been saying this everywhere I go. Guys, let me just say this. The most dangerous thing you'll ever do in your life is allow the presence of God to become common. Right? And it just becomes this. It, the, God's presence is not an asset to our ministries. God's presence is everything. We are not the people of God if we don't have the presence of God. And what we need is to learn how to steward and engage with the presence of God. Anyways, they did not give it the offering that day. <laughs> they probably gave something else, like a few words. All right, anyways. But guys, I, I want you to get this, because it's happening. And, and really, my heart is, I want to call us today. And when I mean us, because I'm moving there. I want to partner and labor with you guys. Let's take our place in this hour of history, and let's fulfill God's dream for the city of Bristol. Friends, let, 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 me, let me paint this little picture of you. Think about when Jesus... You ever wonder, like, what is Jesus doing right now? He's not on his iPhone, flipping through Facebook. Jesus isn't just sitting there doing nothing. Guys, we don't know focus, like the focus of Jesus right now. And I want you to consider, when Jesus ascends into heaven, we always talk about the death, burial, and the resurrection, but a second great and very important component of the gospel story is, is the ascension of Jesus. And he ascends into heaven, right? Fully God and fully man. Imagine this. There is a literal physical man in heaven and he comes into heaven and and the father, I mean, guys, and we don't know love like the father loves the son. I mean, he looks at him, he's like, you did it. You were faithful. You died. You resurrected. I here, right here next to me, I have a throne right here. It is the greatest throne in all of the created order. It's the most exalted, highly exalted throne. I want you to sit here and and just wait till I make your enemies my footstool. And imagine this. Jesus, who's already conquered, 
I'm going to dismantle the little finished works, just sit around and do nothing theology. Jesus has already conquered it all. Friends, he died, he defeated death, he defeated hell, he defeated the grave, he resurrected. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And friends, he's not up there soaking in heaven. The man, Jesus, sits down next to the Father and immediately turns, faces the Father. And you know that he began a 24-7 prayer meeting in heaven and the man, Jesus, has not stopped praying? I want you to think about this. You want to talk about finished works? He's the finisher of the works. He's done it all. He's victorious. He's a great king, but he's choosing to live like a priest. Think about this right now. Guys, if you were to rip open heaven and catch a little glimpse of what's happening, Jesus is interceding and he's contending for the nations as his inheritance and the ends of the earth as his possession. Right now, there is a literal prayer meeting heaven where Jesus is the chief intercessor. And I want you to consider something. He's contending for this city. <clears throat> Think about this. The most faithful and consistent intercessor in all of Bristol is Jesus. Could you imagine the faithfulness, the intensity, the love? And he's sitting there and he says, and he shows the fathers the scar in his hands. And he says, God, he's a father. Look at me. Am I not worthy to receive the city of Bristol as an inheritance, as a reward for my sufferings? Guys, imagine that Jesus is saying, Father, if you give me that city, their love is a just reward. Could you imagine our worship, our devotion, our faithfulness to the Lord is justice. It is a literal just reward. It is enough to satisfy the sufferings of Jesus. Friends, this man, we, we, don't, we don't even get yet. We haven't even scratched the surface of who this man is. is. He's contending nations that we want to bomb he's praying for. Think about this right now. He's contending for Iraq. And there is a people that is responding to Jesus' intercession for Iraq. Guys, he's contending for Syria. He's contending for the Philippines. He's contending for South Korea. He's contending for North Korea. And he's up there. And day and night before the Father, like a great intercessor, saying, Father, give me the nations as my inheritance, the ends of the earth as my possession. And the Father responds with a yes. And do you know how God responds to the intercession of Jesus? He raises up a people on the earth that will become wholehearted to Jesus' intercession. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you would like to have the sort of prayer life where 10 out of 10 of the things that you pray for, you get? <clears throat> Some of you don't want this. Some of you like adventure. Some of you are like, oh, I like when not all my prayers get answered. I'm going to give you a secret. This is, honestly, very key, basic secret. Pray what Jesus prays. And you're going to get everything you ask for because everything he asked the Father, he's going to get. And we do this when we do training and equipping, when we go to cities, people that are launching ministries, we say, they always tell us their vision, their dream, what they're going to do. And I say, great, what does Jesus pray for when he prays for your city? And they always stay quiet. Like do, do, like, do you know he mentions your city by name before the Father? And he has his own dreams for the, for the city? God, the God, when he looks, guys, can imagine... And maybe you think your city's insignificant and you kind of just look down at Bristol and it's just this where I go to church. Friends, it's, that's not the way it is in heaven. 
Jesus doesn't just overlook this city. He's like, well, I really want to get to Philadelphia. It, it, it's not like that. He looks at this city and his heart comes alive. He, guys, do you understand that this city, our love was the joy set before him that helped him endure the cross? And he looks at this city and he has specific things that he prays. And this is something we discovered in Austin. Our city is the live music capital of the world. And that, that's not an opinion. It's a legitimate fact. There's more live music per square capita in that city than anywhere else in the world. And the Lord spoke to us when, when, when he told us it was Austin. I remember in the early days, and he says, I want to see, you know, the Lord said, my dream is that the live music capital of the world would become a live worship capital. It's just what he told us. And for the next few years, we didn't have another vision. We didn't have another agenda. We, when it came to Austin, we did one thing. The only thing God told us he thought about when it came to the city. So if you, what's your mission statement for the city? The live worship capital, the live music capital, become a live worship capital. Well, what's in the next five years, what's your five-year plan? That the live music capital of the world becomes a live worship capital. Why? Because that's what he wants. Well, what are you going to do when you get there? Steward it, sustain it, give everything we have to resource it. And here's what we began to, what began to happen. We began having worship and regular worship and prayer meetings. Guess what we prayed for? God, let the live music capital of the world become the live worship capital of the world. Guess what our singers were singing? God, let the live music capital of the world become a live worship capital. When we got invited into public events, guess when they said, we're doing this, 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 we said, great. Guess what we prayed? Let the live music capital of the world become the live worship capital. Why? Because he, because he hadn't stopped praying it. He didn't stop believing for it. He didn't stop contending. And our job is to simply create a worship culture that is just agreeing with what's happening there. That's the key to prophetic worship. It's all about this. I want this to look like that. So we began to train singers and musicians who were skilled at doing that here. And guess what began to happen? We started seeing that reality here. Friends, this is the key. The key when Jesus teaches us to pray uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. And we all know it, right? The famous verse, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now here's what happens. We take that verse and we interpret it like this. There's no cancer in heaven. There's no diabetes in heaven. There's no divorce. There's no this in heaven. So we're going to break it on the earth. And while that's true, in context, it's actually not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, if you don't want what heaven doesn't have, you can know. He's saying, if you want... On the earth, if you want in your family, friends, if you want in your city what heaven has, you have to do what heaven does. I want you to think about this right now. Literally, on earth as it is in heaven is this. You want what heaven has in your family? Do what heaven does in your family. You want what heaven has in your city? Do what heaven does in your city. And friends, what is all of heaven doing right now? Well, they're doing two things. The first thing is they're looking at them. The second thing, they're responding to what they see with a song. Let me paint a little picture here for you. You guys good? I, I don't know what time I'm supposed to be done at, and my watch broke, so. 
I have till tomorrow night at like six, so we're good. But what is heaven doing? What is heaven doing? Revelation chapter 4. I love this chapter. When we teach worship at our school, this is the first place we go to. Because what we've done, and this is why we get frustrated in worship, is we're trying to teach people what is a byproduct of something else. Right? Singing out spontaneously, lifting your hands, dancing. All of that is the byproduct to something else. In Revelation chapter 4, John gives us the greatest, I believe, biblical description of heaven. Revelation 4, he says, Behold, I saw a door standing open in heaven and a voice like a trumpet saying, Come up here. And I will show it's Revelation 1. Revelation 4, a voice like a trumpet saying, Come up here. And he says, Behold, I enter the door. And he says, Behold a throne and one seated on the throne. Friends, you know that all of heaven, no one is in, no one's freaking out or worrying about what's happening here. They're not freaking out about what's happening there. All of heaven is engaged. One reality takes precedence above every other reality. Think about this right now. It doesn't matter who's president or who's not president or what political party wins or what doesn't. What matters is that there is a throne in heaven. And there is one seated on the throne. And he's like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And around this throne is an emerald rainbow. So this is what he's telling us. He begins to describe the government of God and the beauty of God. And here's what we begin to discover. God's government, God's kingdom, God's power is directly related to God's beauty. Our God is beautiful, He's magnificent, and His beauty, everything that woos our heart and provokes us to worship, is connected to God's government. Well, this might be a little over your heads for some of you, but this is why Jesus is both a king and a priest. He's both, right? He's the great king that's going to release His government and His power on the earth But at the same time, he's beautiful and he's magnificent and he's wonderful, right? Chief among ten thousands. So here John describes the throne of God. It's like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance and an emerald rainbow. And God is seated above a sea of glass. And he describes, this is what's, wow, this is great. And then he says, but then around God's throne are 24 thrones. And seated on those thrones are 24 elders, each having golden harps. And then he says, but within that are four living creatures. There's four living creatures in heaven. Friends, I want, and we're going to look at this here in a second. The greatest worship movement described in the Bible was called the Tabernacle of David. Where David raised up a whole new order of worship of singers and musicians. That God is restoring all over the earth. And friends, this same encounter and experience that John is having is where David gets the idea for this tabernacle of David. And he sees this four living creatures in heaven. If you saw them, you'd collapse. They're covered with eyes within and without. One having the face of an ox, one having the face of a lion, one having the face of an eagle, and one having the face of a man. And these beings, like I said, are covered in eyes within and without. And for all of their existence, I want you to think about this. 
All they've done is look at one thing. Imagine, you're alive for 10,000 years, or however long they've been alive, let's just get a number, 10,000. And for 10,000 years, you have only looked at one thing. Not because you have to, but because you can't look away. What you're seeing is so fascinating, is so wonderful, is so beautiful, is so intriguing. You, you, why would you want to look at anything else? Look at what you're looking at. Right now in heaven, they're all of them, they're fascinated, they're intrigued, they're captivated by this man that sits on the throne and they look at him and they study him. These four living beings and their entire bodies are covered in eyes. And I believe the reason that is is because they weren't created to worship, they were actually created to behold. They were created to look at God and they study and they look at him all of heaven. Friends, this is what Jesus was talking about when he says on earth as it is in heaven. He says, raise up a mighty generation in the earth that becomes skilled and excellent at looking at God. And then you won't have to convince them to worship. And they look at him. And they study the four living creatures circle around the throne. Every single eye in their body looking at one. Imagine they've never looked away and they've never become bored. They've never been bored. They've never been exhausted. They've never wondered what time it is. This is going too long. They're all looking. Oh my God. And they sing one song and they've never changed the song and they've never changed the key. Can you imagine? They don't even know what the top four, what's the next great hit in the worship movement on the earth. They're like, no, no, no. Look at this man. And they look and they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, is, and is to come. That's all they've said. For thousands upon 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 thousands of years, they've looked at one being and they've come up with one conclusion to what they've seen. So right, the word holy, the Hebrew word kadosh, which means different or other. You can literally translate the song of the four living creatures like this. We've never seen anything like this before. Then they look again. And, and, and what's crazy, they're not saying it, they're singing it. They're literally singing this. All of heaven is singing out this great chorus. We've never, ever seen anything like this before. And then they look again. We've never seen anything like this before. And then they look again. We've never seen anything like this before. And then they look again. We've never seen anything like this before. And then they look again and they're singing out with exuberance and sounds that we've never heard on the earth. And they're simply responding to what they see. And they go, we've never, we've never seen anything like this before. And then they look again. We've never seen anything like this before. And the ox looks at the eagle and he says, eagle, you ever seen anything like that before? And the eagle goes, I've never seen anything like that before in my life. And they, but they've never looked at anything else. They've only looked at one thing, but they've never seen anything like what they're looking at. And they're completely captivated at the glory and the beauty of God. And they sing out day and night, night and day, and all of heaven is caught up in, in this romance of the beauty of God. Imagine, friends, when Jesus says, on earth as it is in heaven, he's saying, do that. Do that. I want you to do that. I want you to do that in Bristol, Pennsylvania. 
I want you to do that in Iraq. I want you to do that in Seoul, South Korea. I want you to do that in Istanbul. I want you to raise up a mighty generation of singers and musicians like the four living creatures that are excellent and skilled at looking at my beauty and then teach them to respond with songs and melodies. And imagine this is what's happening. Guys, right now, this is, uh, we were just in, um, in India. We, we, we went all over the country. And there's this group of these wild, crazy young people that have been marked by the beauty of God. And they've quit their jobs. They've quit college. I'm not telling you to do that. And they've become full-time missionaries to their country, to India. And their entire goal is to raise up. They said the only thing that could compete with 30, a nation that has been rattled by 33 million different gods is the beauty of God. So we're going to teach an entire generation to look at him and sing out what they see in a day and night context. Friends, it's happening. Let's look at this real quick in Psalm 2. You guys good? We'll end with this psalm right here. It's a beautiful psalm. Right? About the end of the age. We guys know there's a, there's a literal end times coming. Amen? Amen? There's a literal end times. And there are going to be literal turmoil and shaking in the nations. There's going to be literal darkness. But we have a promise that when the gross darkness covers the earth, a great light is going to, uh, is going to compete with the darkness. Does that make sense? Amen? Amen? So here's David. He's singing out to the Lord prophetically, overwhelmed by the shaking and the raging in the nations, and he's seeking God for his answer on how God is going to deal with the coming turmoil that's going to happen in the nations. And we'll go through this quickly. Verse 1. And he's singing. This is an actual song. These are actual lyrics that they would have sung in the tabernacle of David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He's saying, Lord, there's this great... Guys, I'm going to say this. This is what's happening. The nations are not fighting against democracy. They're not fighting against American values. There is a literal war that is being waged against the kingdom and the leadership of Jesus. And he's saying, Lord, they're fighting. They don't want them. They're trying to eradicate anything having to do with your son from these nations. And they're waging violent war. Right? There's martyrdom. We see it just this morning. Three churches were bombed. In, uh, in Indonesia. And there's things happening and the nations are shaking and fear begins to fill people's hearts. And David comes before the Lord and he says, Lord, do you have a solution? Are you going to do anything about this stuff? Because let us be honest. Sometimes it's easy to feel like we're losing. If we're just honest. Like you, you go, you watch the news and you hear things. And I'm like, Lord, what the heck? And God begins and God responds. He says, David, I am not shaken I'm not moved by the warring and the affliction in the nations because I have a solution to the coming global conflict. Guys, God has a solution to the sex trafficking industry. God has a solution to the drug epidemic and gang epidemic. God has a solution to murder and sickness and disease. There is an hour coming in which God is going to release the greatest wave of justice we have ever seen. 
He said, David, I'm not shaken. I have a solution. Quickly, verse 4. And the Lord responds and he says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision, that he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. He says, I'm going I'm to think they're the ones that are shaking, but I'm going to shake the nations. Friends, and he's doing it. He's beginning to do it. He's shaking nations. We were just, I'll tell you a quick testimony, and I promise I'm, I'm wrapping up. We, uh, we just took our team to South Korea. We were there, and our house was a five-minute drive to the North Korean border. One morning, I got up to go running, and I knew it was time to turn around because I accidentally ran to the fence. So it was like barbed wire and a minefield, and I was like, I think it's time to go home. So I turned around and ran back. But later that day, they took, this was on a Monday, they took our team to the border. We went to the border with our guitars, and we stood there in the border, and we began to sing out and worship and prophesy over North Korea. And, and, and we began to sing out specifically what we thought the Lord was telling us to sing. And we began to sing out God, Turn the heart of Kim Jong-un to you. Begin to turn his heart, turn his heart towards South Korea. Reunify these nations. And we began to, and we did the trial, we sang and we prophesied. The next day, it was a Tuesday, we get on the plane to fly home, and it breaks out on USA Today. The next day, Kim Jong-un reaches out to the president of South Korea saying, I'm willing to begin negotiations to end the war. Guys, it happened. The next week, we're in Brazil, and we're getting ready for a meeting, and the next news report breaks out. Kim Jong-un agrees to begin conversations to denuclearize North Korea. And as of now, the two have officially met and signed a contract, and the war between North and South Korea has ended. Guys, do you know that our worship, your Worship is God's solution to release global justice, to release peace, to release the glory of the Lord over the nations in an unprecedented way. Let me end with this. Verse 6. He says, David, here's my answer. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. He said, David, here's my answer. I'm going to put my king on Mount Zion. Now let me give you a little bit of, of language and context what's actually happening here. God is saying, David, my, don't get distracted. Stay here. It's all right. They're just musicians going on stage. Right here. David is saying, I have an answer. I mean, the Lord's saying, David, he's saying to David, David, I got an answer. I'm not moved. He's saying, here's my answer. Here's what I'm going to do in the nations. Here's what I'm going to do all over the world. That thing that you're doing on Mount Zion, that tabernacle of David thing with the singers and the musicians, that is my answer to the nations. Right? That's my answer to 33 million gods in India. That's my answer to ISIS. That's my answer to the 50-year-long dictatorship of the, of the Kim family in North Korea. God is saying, I am going to raise up a global tabernacle of David. Let me give you a little bit of context. In the days of David, when David becomes king, he does something unprecedented. He conquers Jerusalem. He takes this mountain that we know today as Mount Zion. And he pitches a tent on the mountain. He puts the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, in the middle of the tent. And David hires out 288 full-time singers. 4,000 full-time musicians. 4,000 full-time workers whose, whose full-time occupation it is to stand before the presence of God and worship day and night. 
Think about this. That's 8,288 full-time employees fully funded to do one thing. Their only occupation is to stand before God and worship. And God says, that is my answer. That's my solution. This is how I am going to bring my government and my kingdom on the earth. Come on, guys, let's stand to our feet this morning. Somebody, yeah, just play. Come on, listen, this morning... I feel the Lord's heart. Guys, listen. It's easy to listen to a message like this and just get excited and go home. But listen, God is calling us to build him in Mount Zion here in Bristol. God's calling us to raise up a culture of worship here in this city as it is in heaven so that we can begin to see in this city a manifestation of the Lord's kingdom as it is in heaven. Come on, I want us to do this. Just, Just lift your hands right where you are. We get a little more just on the piano, just a little more flow. Can you sing out spontaneously for me? Come on, let's just begin to worship right where we are. Come on, we're, we're, we're going to worship for a minute. We're just going to invite the Lord to be enthroned, and then I'm going to pray for you guys here in a second. But come on, right where you are, I want you to begin to lift your voice right here. Come on, just begin. Guys, it's in our worship. God attaches his government. He attaches his kingdom to our worship. Just begin to sing out to the Lord. Now, sing out a new song. Just prophesy. Come on. God, we invite you this morning. Come on, sing out. I want you to begin to contend for the city. Father, this morning we contend for the city of Bristol. Father, we contend for Bristol Borough. And Lord, we say, do it here in this city, God. Father, as you're doing in the nations, do it here in this city. Father, would you raise up in Bristol pure incense. Father, would you raise up in Bristol like a Mount Zion. Father, raise him up here in the city. Singers and musicians, God, with the heart of David. Father, that would give themselves. Father, like the four living creatures, beholding the beauty of the Lord, singing out what they see in agreement. Father, we say here in the city, be enthroned in our praises. Yeah, come on, sing out, sing out. Yeah, tell them we worship you, come on. Tell them we worship Sing out to the Lord this morning. Come on, sing out. Yeah. Yeah, just tell him. Just sing it out. Come on, Father, awaken worship. Father, I ask you this morning, would you awaken worship? Would you awaken a worship movement, God, out of this city? A mighty worship movement. Father, would you awaken mighty songs that would release justice over the city, Father. I'm asking you, raise up a tabernacle of David movement, even here in Bristol, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Yeah, come on, sing it out, sing it out. I want you to sing out what I'm praying, sing out what I'm praying. Yeah, tell them, Lord, raise it up here in the city. Father, raise it up. For the raise up day and night worship, God. Raise up tabernacle of David, Lord. Father, in Bristol this morning, we say be enthroned in our praises. Be enthroned in our praises, Lord. 